We're continuing our uh, quasi-series in Origins, uh, The Bible Jesus Read. And uh, today's message is entitled, Don't Look Back. And uh, we're going to be talking about Sodom and Gomorrah today. One of the most exciting verses for a pastor to preach. This is why we preach through the Bible, though, because uh, we want to preach the whole thing. Um, but I, I believe there's a lot of hope in, in this as well. Um, now, some people don't like this passage because it feels like God is dispassionate, like his wrath is dispassionate here. And, and not even just dispassionate, but uh, can I say discompassionate even? Um, but if we skip out on this, I think we're actually skipping out on God's mercy. So last week, Abraham showed great hospitality to three dudes who showed up. One turned out to be God. Two were angels. Um, and that was important, the way he showed hospitality. And, and we talked a lot about hospitality last week. Um, one of them turned out to be God himself, foretold Abraham having his first child at the age of 100. Next, after uh, Sunday sermon, there's more kind of in between. Um, it's revealed by God that he's going to destroy the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, the uh, God or one of the angels says the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is immense and their sin is extremely serious. But Abraham, he works out a deal with God. Um, and as God sends his angels, he works out a deal that he will not destroy those that are righteous in the cities. Uh, now, there are, there are not many, it seems, that are righteous in the cities. Um, and I'm not even sure if there are 10 that Abraham asks for. And yet God willingly says, hey, I'm going to go check it out. Um, and make sure that no one righteous will die. And so that's where we start off um, in Genesis 19, 1 through 26. Um, no young kids here today, which I'm stoked uh, as we read. Isn't that funny when you're like, ooh, we're reading through the Bible. We've got to make sure there's no kids around. Um, so we're going to be in Genesis 19, 1 through 26. Once again, we have Bibles available in the corner if you need one. Um, now let's hear. This is God's word. Now let's hear from it. The most encouraging. The two angels entered Sodom in the evening as Lot was sitting in Sodom's gateway. When Lot saw them, now Lot is actually, let me just say, Lot is the nephew of Abraham and he's chosen to be in this area. I'll get further to that, um, but I, at least I'll give you some background. Lot saw them and he got up to meet them. He bowed with his face to the ground and said, my lords, turn aside from your servant's house, wash your feet, spend the night, then you can get up early and go on your way. No, they said, we'd rather spend the night in the square. But he urged them so strongly that they followed him and went into his house. He prepared a feast and baked unleavened bread for them, and they ate. Before they went to bed, the men of the city of Sodom, both young and old, the whole population surrounded the house. They called out to Lot and said, where are the men who came to you tonight? Send them out to us so that we may have sex with them. Lot went out to them at the entrance and shut the door behind him. He said, don't do this evil, my brothers. Look, I've got two daughters who haven't been intimate with a man. I'll bring them out to you, and you can do whatever you want to them. However, don't do anything to these men, because they have come under the protection of my roof. Now let me stop us here just for one moment. If you ever move away from here, and you go to another church... And a pastor doesn't describe what Lot just suggested as anything less than despicable, run from that church. Um, sometimes I think that we tend to defend 
things that happened in the Bible as if God was like totally stoked on it. Um, what Lot does here is so reprehensible and wrong um, that we need to call that out. Like godly men protect women. Okay, can I just say that? Godly men protect women and they don't put them out there to be uh, hurt or abused or taken advantage of. So I just want to say that. Okay, now I'll continue on. But for me, it's like, if I read that and the pastor just kept going, I'd be like, when is he going to talk about that? <laughs> so we'll, we'll still talk about that, but I just, um, I'd say that. Verse 9, Genesis 19, verse 9. Get out of the way, they said, adding, this one came here as an alien, but he's acting like a judge. Now we'll do more harm to you than to them. They put pressure on Lot and came up to break down the door, but the angels reached out, brought Lot into the house with them, and shut the door. They struck the men who were at the entrance of the house, both young and old, with blindness, so they were unable to find the entrance. Then the angel said to Lot, Do you have anyone else here, a son-in-law, your sons, daughters, or anyone else in the city who belongs to you? Get them out of this place. For we are about to destroy this place, because the outcry against its people is so great before the Lord that the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went and spoke to his sons-in-law who were going to marry his daughters. Get up, he said. Get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But his sons-in-law thought he was joking. At daybreak, the angels urged Lot, Get up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you will be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he hesitated. Because the Lord's compassion for him, the men grabbed his hand, his wife's hand, and the hands of his two daughters. They brought him out and let, left him outside the city. As soon as the angels got them outside, one of them said, Run for your lives. Don't look back and don't stop anywhere on the plain. Run to the mountains or you will be swept away. But Lot said to them, No, my lords, please. Your servant has indeed found favor with you, and you have shown me great kindness by saving my life. But I can't run to the mountains. The disaster will overtake me and I will die. Look, this town is close enough for me to flee to. It is a small place. Please let me run to it. It's only a small place, isn't it? So that I can survive. And he said to them, All right, I'll grant your request about this matter too and will not demolish the town you mentioned. Hurry up, run to it, for I cannot do anything until you get there. Therefore, the name of the city is Zoar. The sun had risen over the land when Lot reached Zoar. Then out of the sky, the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah, burning sulfur from the Lord. He demolished these cities the entire plain, all the inhabitants of the cities, and whatever grew on the land. But, but Lot's wife looked back and became a pillar of salt. This is God's word. Would you pray with me? Father, uh, sometimes it feels like we're surrounded by sin, but other times it feels like we're worse than anyone that could surround us. Um, God, you know our agendas, and you know our hearts, and you know sometimes we hide behind religiosity. We hide behind doing good things, um, and yet you know the state of our heart. And even still, you've been there for us. You've offered us grace and mercy where we have not deserved it. God, we thank you for your presence with us today. We thank you for the hope you give. I know the places many of us would be without you, and we shudder to consider them. Would you guide us as we dive deeper into this difficult passage? Would you help us to understand you love us in the midst of our rough stuff? May the words of my mouth and the thoughts of our hearts be pleasing to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is uh, in my top 10 hardest verses in the Bible, ones that I struggle with. There's a few others that are, are worse than this, actually, um, that are just hard to wrap your mind around. Um, 
But I'm going to do my best to faithfully uh, preach from this text, and I believe that there are a lot of good things in it. Um, Let me say, I believe it's good. Can I say that? I believe this text is good, and I believe it should be in the Bible because God has decided that. Um, I've been told that a preacher should never apologize for the Bible, and I get that. We believe the Bible is the inerrant, authoritative word of God, and I believe that. But I want to also admit that there can be tension in the Bible. Like, it's okay for us to have tension over what we read. When we do growth groups, we ask, is there something you didn't like? We ask that intentionally because we feel like we need to be honest with God. If you read the Psalms, like, there's a lot of honesty in there. Um, And I don't believe I can lead you well unless I'm honest. There are times when I struggle. There are times when I read something and think, God, how is this good? But I also trust the character of God. I trust that he cares for us. If we trust God is good and God is love and the Bible is his word, we have to interpret everything through that lens, even the things that make us uncomfortable. So if I never have to doubt and never struggle in the Bible, you will have yourself a dishonest pastor, and I refuse to be dishonest to you. That's a robot. That's not a follower of Christ. I always want to keep it real with you guys. But I want you to know, even in your struggles, you can see the word of God as fully trustworthy, and I do as well. So today I'm going to give you three points from Lot's brush with death. And uh, the first point is this. It's, a, it's a, kind of like coming back from last week. It's that hospitality, not his righteousness, may have saved Lot and his family. Um, hospitality may have saved Lot and his family. Um, there's a lot of things there. One, uh, the hospitality gives Abraham an audience with God where Abraham is able to negotiate on behalf of Lot and for his safety. Uh, if you remember last week, um, if Abraham didn't stop him, then uh, God would not have revealed to him what was going to happen. Um, now, it's interesting because the Bible does call Lot a righteous man in Second Peter. So what do we do with that? <laughs> um, all the awesome people in the Bible are screw-ups. And the designation of righteous should not excuse unrighteous behavior. What does that mean? Um, I was talking to Pastor Jordan about this uh, this week. And... Um, I was telling him how annoyed I was with Lot. As I'm trying to preach about this, I'm like, this guy is a jerk hole. Um, and, you know, kind of in his Jesus juke, Jordan's like, yeah, he's an example. He's an example of us. And so um, one of the things that we have to consider is that um, Lot is gross. Like what Lot does is gross, but his righteousness is not based on his behavior, but it's his faith in one who's better and greater than him. And that's, um, you know, for me, I was like, well, what about Abraham, dude? It's really Abraham's prayers. And, and Jordan's like, gosh, dang it, Jordan. Jordan is like, well, Abraham, like, lied about his uh, wife being his sister, like, a couple times, right? I'm like, dang it. <laughs> I'm trying to, like, say Abraham's the good dude. And he's like, well, not really. Um, it's his belief that is counted as righteousness. So the two angels, angels enter Sodom in the evening as Lot was sitting in Sodom's gateway. When Lot saw them, he got up to meet them. He bowed with his face to the ground and said, My lords, turn aside from your servant's house. Wash your feet, spend the night, then you can get up early and go your way. Fact is, is that um, Lot is still worshiping God even in his sin. And hospitality is worship, the way we treat others. Lot sees the men in the city square and he lets them know bad stuff happens here. During the day, the city square or the entrance to the city was a place where business was conducted. You had lots of leaders for the city who were there conducting business. During the night, 
It was where business was conducted. But it was quite a different business, right? The things that were happening at night were not the same type of business during the day. Now, there are lots of safe neighborhoods in southeast San Diego, but if you go there starting around 10 p.m., you have to know you're setting yourself up for danger. You're going to get robbed if you're just going to decide you're going to just go hang out alone in in Gompers Park at 10 p.m. Like, you're just setting yourself up. But still, Lot shows hospitality because he knows the danger. Hospitality gives Abraham an audience to ask for intervention on behalf of his nephew, Lot. Then Lot invites them in, and he gets an audience with the angels. Hospitality precedes their salvation. Isn't that interesting? Um, Now I'm actually talking about salvation in that they are literally saved from death. Um, I, I was talking to a dude in our neighborhood on Tuesday, and he said this to me. He said, some dudes might have trouble with uh, you pastor in the hood because you're a cool pastor. And I, I, I said, what does that mean? You know, he said, guys like me want to do debauchery with those women and you might take them away for good stuff, but I'm still glad you're here. And I said, okay, you're going to have to like flesh that out for me, bro. Like, what does that mean? You know? And he just said, like, you've shown kindness to me. And so even if I'm in sin, like, I got your back. And then he said, he said, nobody's going to mess with you because I got something back there and I could, I could defend you, Pastor. And I was like, going to go now? Um, so anyone who's listening, there was a, it was like he had a Tommy gun, I don't even know, like from the 20s. Um, but uh, the thing is, is that it was because I showed kindness to him that he was willing to protect me in the same way. I didn't, I didn't go about it like, I'm going to show this guy hospitality because then I'll be safe. Um, it was, I'm going to show this guy hospitality because God has shown me hospitality. Um, another friend from the neighborhood said that if he ever saw four guys walking behind me up close, he'd have to bust all their heads. That's what he said to me. Um, I didn't earn this protection though, right? Um, look, I didn't earn it by being good at singing. I didn't earn it by being good at sports. I didn't earn it in anything that I'm good at. Like, I'm not awesome at a lot of things, but hospitality takes a, just a tiny bit of talent. It doesn't take any talent to be hospitable to other people. I suppose you could be so awkward that people don't want it, which might be my problem sometimes. Um, But showing kindness to your neighbor, showing kindness to others is hospitality, and it worships God. Um, And I think that in this case, it it not only worshiped God, but it also protected them. There are people who can remodel homes. There are people who can take machines apart and put them back together. I can't do those things, but I know how to do a couple of things. One, my kids really like that I can do a Maya Angelou and Johnny Cash impression when I read them books. The other thing I know I can do is I can show hospitality. I can invite people into my dirty home and I can let them know they're welcome. It doesn't take talent. So who can you give attention to? Who can you show love to today? Someone in your neighborhood? Is there someone at work that always eats alone? What if you decided that you were going to start sitting next to them? Are there people in this church that are often alone? I promise you, if you invite people from this church to do life with you, you will love it. How about someone at school that is lonely or could use help before that test coming up? That is biblical hospitality. When you show compassion to the other, the stranger, or even the friend, you are showing compassion to God. Also on an extra biblical side note, compassion to the stranger, I just think, this is not in the Bible, I just think it just bends God's ear to you. When you show compassion to others, I feel like God listens. I'm not saying that's in the Bible, um, but I believe it. Now, our second point from Lot's brush with death is this. Compromise led to danger and disaster for Lot. Compromise led to danger and disaster for Lot. 
Lot knew his weaknesses, okay? And he was probably infected by this FOMO, this desire to be up in the mix. What am I missing out on? Um, Ultimately, he ended up making his small sins turn into festering, infected ones. He went exactly where he shouldn't go. Uh, So just to give you some background, gosh, I was going to read that verse again, but you guys like learned it, right? You remember what I said. I don't need to go over that one again. Um, Abraham and Lot, just beforehand, in uh, I think Genesis 14, they each took a, they were, they were really big um, families, and they had lots of livestock, and their guys started to fight with each other, so they decided to split things up. Abraham said, go where you, to one side, I'll go to the other. Lot chose the side with Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, now, we don't know for sure if he chose it because of Sodom and Gomorrah. We do know that he put his tent real close to Sodom and Gomorrah, and he ended up inside of it. Um, now, we believe that we're in the city for the city, right? Uh, but clearly here, um, Lot may be putting himself in a place where he would struggle, and he knew that he would struggle. Um, the late Joyce Baldwin from Trinity College in Bristol said this, From that fatal day when Lot made his choice to better himself in the luscious valley, he had become more and more involved in moral compromise. He had originally set up his tent close to Sodom, but was soon a resident within the city. So let me just say this. If you are suffering from a gambling addiction, don't go share the gospel at Viejas. Like, that's just not where you should be, right? It's not noble. It's stupid. If you struggle with sexual addiction, don't go witness on the corner to prostitutes. If you got a thing for that ex-girlfriend, don't go spend the night at her house to share the gospel because it's only going to pull you down. It's not going to pull you up. Also, it's going to hurt your reputation with that person. Lot has become so debased that he does the unthinkable. He offers his two daughters to save the men. It's ironic that he uses sin to protect the visitors who are coming because he's righteous, and they're the only ones who can actually protect him. Isn't that funny? And the question is, where is God in all this? He's trying to make it happen on his own. I can just imagine these angels like, hey, we got to save this righteous guy, right? Am I right? Uh, He really, really seems like a good guy. And then Lot's like, save these men. And then the angels are like, yes, that's right. He is such a good dude. And then Lot's like, take my virgin daughters. Do whatever deviant crap you want to do with them. And the angels are like, yeah, that, what what was that? Was that, huh? What did you say, Lot? Like, wait, we're here because you're righteous, right? We're here to save you because everything else is going on. What are you saying? Now, um, Lot's sin may not compromise his salvation with God in this case. Um, But I can tell you it causes him a lot of problems. Psalm 34, 15 through 18 says this, The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry for help. The face of the Lord is set against those who do what is evil, to remove all memory from the earth. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears, and rescues them from all their troubles. The Lord is near the brokenhearted, He also saves those crushed in spirit. Now, Lot is righteous because he has faith in a good God. But he's messed up here. He's clearly messed up. When Lot offers his daughters as a sacrifice, a few things happen here. While God will still save him, he's creating a world of hurt for himself that will affect him for many, many years and will even affect his children. So A, let's talk about this. The fiancés of his daughter... Um, now, let me just say this, his daughters. Uh, if you had just 
said to your daughters, like, go out there with these guys that are going to do I don't know what, um, how do you think the fiancés of those girls would feel afterwards? Would they see you as a godly man? I'm going to say no. Like, also, I would be so angry at my future father-in-law if he had done that. So when Lot goes to them and says, hey, because of my righteousness, God is going to save you. Let's get out of the city. I would laugh in his face and say, I don't believe that you're righteous. I don't believe you at all. And so what happened is those men stayed in the city and died. And I, I think that it could have been partially because of Lot's sin. Lot's willingness to put his daughters out there. Also, what do his daughters think about sexual morality after that? That it's not all it's cracked up to be, right? It's only their bodies. It's no terrible sin. So let's talk about what happens just after this. I'm not going to do an entire sermon because I just don't want to do sermons on all this junk. Um, But after they get out of the city, what do they do? They get their dad drunk and they have sex with him. Now, why do you think that they suddenly have these loose morals? Perhaps it's because they live in Sodom and Gomorrah and they've learned it there. But do you think that maybe it was the sin of their dad who said, oh, sex, no big thing. Just get out there. Just go and get yourself out there. I tend to think that his sin um, just brought a world of hurt on him, brought a world of hurt on his daughters, and brought death to his sons. So while he's still saved, our sins still have repercussions, right? And I think lots do. Um, Victor Hamilton, he puts it this way, one licentious act deserves another with villain and victim exchanging roles. And I think in this point, uh, his daughters exchange roles with him. So when we try to put people around us, um, They're not going to listen to us when the time comes if we are unwilling to call out our own sin and struggle. Lot has become so Sodom-like that when he tries to warn his son-in-laws, he's laughed at. Sons-in-law, your lifestyle can encourage or discourage people from knowing Jesus. Which is why I know some of you guys are like, well, no city life bumper sticker on my car. And I'm like, oh, dude, you guys, please do it still and just try and change the way you drive. Um, But when it comes down to it, It's not that, like, we can't share the gospel now because we're all full of sin, Um, but it's it's a desire for repentance and reconciliation that should be a part of who we are. Um, Let me say, we have people in this room that are achievers, and you're going to try and achieve this, and um, you can't do it that way. You have to trust God to do this in you. You have to trust him to work in your heart, and... um, the fact is, is, if you try to do this on your own, it will only be religion. So more and more, we have to ask God for help. Okay? Does that, does that, is that fair? Okay, we'll see. Um, so those who heard Lot's warning were unable to hear him. The idea of the destruction of their city is implausible, but how much more so when the messenger is unreliable, unreliable as a moral man? Also, when he's told to leave the cities, the city, the angels almost have to drag him out. And ultimately, he doesn't even go where they tell him to go. Like, is that the type of guy you want to listen to? Like, I don't think so. Like, I wouldn't want to listen to him. He's not even listening himself. About 50 years ago, in the United States, pastors were treated with great deference. Even today, if a man uh, in our neighborhood about 45 years or older speaks to me, he will call me pastor, reverend, or rev. Um, They treat me with great respect. Um, but I've noticed that men around under 40 don't show the same respect for my position. Now, do, do I really care that they call me that? Not really. 
but it says something, doesn't it, about the heart. They call me Dale, which is fine with me. But in this community, that, that, that says something. It says that they don't have respect for pastors. Why is that? <laughs> well, it's because so many of us have been the worst people. Um, like, just think about uh, Jim Baker, televangelist Jim Baker, who spent 16 months in a federal grand jury probe. Baker was indicted in 1988 on eight counts of mail fraud, 15 counts of wire fraud, one count of conspiracy. In 1989, after a five-week trial, which began on August 28th in Charlotte, North Carolina, a jury found him guilty on all 24 counts, sentenced him to 45 years in federal prison, and imposed a $500,000 fine. Now, that's just one story. That was actually one of the ones that really made me not want to be a Christian, though. Like, when I looked at this dude with his slick back hair and his wife wearing all that makeup and just saying how much they needed our money... I just thought, man, I don't want any part of this Jesus guy. Like, I, he seems like a shyster, right? Gosh, we have a pastor who just last year went on TV and said he needed a jet for the gospel. The thing is, is that a lot, a lot of us pastors have lost our credibility. And we don't have the ability to speak the gospel as easily to someone because they don't trust us. And you know what? I think they have good reason. And it makes me sad. But this means that as Christians, um, one of the only ways we can earn the right to speak about salvation in Jesus is slow, deliberate, intentional love. And I don't mean seeing people as targets to share the gospel. I mean praying for them, soaking your carpet in your tears on their behalf because you love them. It may take years to earn their trust, but you cannot do this without prayer and time. And you, and you can also instantly lose trust, right? Just like Lot did. Okay, so our final point in the most encouraging sermon ever from Lot's brush with death. Um, it's going to get encouraging here to look to Christ. Um, Joyce Baldwin, though, uh, she says this again. Even a miraculous escape from the city was insufficient to cover the nostalgia she, that's Lot's wife, felt for all she had left behind. Some of you may feel like you want to give your life to Jesus, but you have those nagging things that you don't want to give up, those things that desire to enslave you. But let me tell you, those things desire your death and your destruction, and they will ultimately lead to it. Some of you have given your life to Jesus, and sometimes you miss those things because they gave you that temporary pleasure. They gave you a temporary rush. But I tell you, don't look back. Look to Jesus. Those things don't love you. Those addictions don't love you. That first high may have seemed great, but that drug intends to ensnare you. Colossians 3, 1 through 5 says this. If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death what belongs to you, your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. And friends, idolatry is just making something else more important than God. So if God only listens to the righteous, who the heck is he going to listen to? He's not going to listen to me. 
not on my own good. I've not managed to sell, to, to, to earn who I am that gives God um, an ear to me. It ultimately comes from somewhere else. We're up a creek, friends. Abraham believed God, and the Bible says it was counted to him as righteousness. Any righteousness Lot had was a gift from God through his belief. And obviously, it's God's grace. Now, it's funny because I think sometimes um, we might get mad that God saved Lot. Um, At the same time, I think we might get mad that God destroyed a city. And I think we have to be aware of our hypocrisy on this. That in God's grace, he chooses to save those who don't deserve it. We should be thankful because that includes us. may have included Lot, um, but we're no angels in here either, are we? Angels is a funny term to use, but we're no, I don't know, whatever. So who are we in the story? Who are we in the story? Um, I'm not sure. Are there any good guys? I guess the angels are kind of good guys in the story. Uh, But I I think we're Lot. I think we're Lot's wife. I think we could be those dudes in the square. We are messed up, and we are deserving of God's justice. We hurt people, and God's wrath is deserved. But even though God's wrath is deserved, even though we deserve justice for our sins, God did something on our behalf, right? That the Father sent his son, Jesus, to this earth, and Jesus willingly came to this earth. God himself came to this earth and willingly died so that we might have life. He lived a perfect life so that we might have life. He sacrificed himself as the perfect lamb so that we might have life. He conquered our sin and our death so that we might have life. And some of us still might say, God, I'm just going to try and earn it myself. Some of us might say, God, I'm just not good enough to accept this. And I tell you, when we look at the Bible and we see the people that God gives grace to, I think we fit into that. Like there is no sin too big for his grace. You can't sin more than God can forgive. And I find that to be Such excellent news because you know what? I'm good at doing the Maya Angelou voice, the Johnny Cash voice, hospitality, and sin. I'm so good at it, friends. And I think some of us here are experts too. And yet, his grace is so much more profound and powerful. The beauty of the gospel is that when we accept Jesus as Lord, no matter where we are at, we are gifted Jesus' righteousness. That when the Father looks upon us, he sees the righteousness of Christ and he goes, yes, they're my family. And if you don't find yourself in the family, I urge you to pray and ask God to be your savior today, that you would give him your life so you might be in his family. Friends, don't look back. Look forward to Christ. Practice hospitality because you've been given everything from God. And then... Let's be careful with our compromise. Let's know ourselves. Let's know our our limits. And let's trust God to be God even when we mess it up. Would you pray with me?